This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord says, the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good purpose to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find you, find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. So most of us, I'm sure, have seen Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, If you haven't, then you now have an assignment for the afternoon. You know what you're doing. You can go watch it. Uh, The Timbers won the MLS last week, so I'm sure your calendar is clear for this afternoon. Um, But in case you need a refresher, the movie is about a man named Kris Kringle. And he is the real Santa Claus, but he's only believed in by a handful of people. Everyone thinks that he's a very kind man, but he's sort of delusional, maybe maybe mentally unstable. And in the course of the movie, Chris goes around and demonstrates real kindness and care to almost everyone that he encounters. And inside the world of the movie, Christmas belongs to him more than anyone else. But you see, Christmas has been hijacked by corporate interest and twisted into a commercial excuse for greed and for ramping up profits and just selling more stuff. And all the while, Chris continues to care for people, giving sacrificially. And his kindness silently indicts the unkindness that has grown up around him and around Christmas like thorns. In a sense, he is simultaneously most and least at home in Christmas. The incarnation of Jesus tells the story of how God has entered into his world in the person of his son, and is simultaneously he is most and least at home in the world that he comes to. Jesus enters into his world both as the ultimate citizen and its ultimate stranger. And those who receive him, those who follow him, they too become citizens and strangers, people whose lives have been so radically inverted that they understand what creation, what cities were meant to be, and are working to make them so, yet finding their ultimate values, their ultimate citizenship, not in the world itself, not in the practices and values that the world has established, but in God's, 
Now, that's a huge concept, so while you're getting your mind around that, let me give you a little bit of a background for Jeremiah, because again, we're kind of jumping into this very long prophecy into chapter 29. We're three weeks into the series, no place like home, no home-like place, rather. And the train of thought goes something like this, that Jesus is building a community that is intended to be his holy ground. It is intended to be a thin place where the distance between heaven and earth collapses. And that is his church, his people are meant to be that. And that's why he taught us to pray as we prayed earlier, that his kingdom would come here. That it's not just an otherworldly existence, but it's an existence here. That his kingdom exists on the earth. That his will would be done here as it is in heaven. That is perfectly. And the church is meant to mediate God's presence wherever it gathers in worship and whether, wherever it scatters, wherever it exists during the week. Now, that reality of being scattered was, wasn't hard to imagine for the people that were receiving this prophecy that Jeremiah was speaking to because they had been driven from their homes and exiled to a foreign land. And this was a very common experience in the ancient world. But what the Babylonians did differently was very brilliant and brutal at the same time. It's in about the 500s B.C., and Babylon in Israel's mind is sort of the paradigmatic city of evil. And they've taken over Israel and have carried them into exile. Or they've taken over Israel. And so Babylon faces a couple of options. How do we deal with this subjugated people group? Okay, we could occupy the people on their own turf, but that runs the risk because the Israelites know their turf. They still have their resources, still have their relationships, that they could rise up against the Babylonians in an insurrection. Secondly, they could just enslave the people, but this tends to make people very mad and makes them resistant to the force of the empire. Well, another idea altogether, we can take all of their artisans, craftsmen, rulers, elites, and bring them to Babylon where they can amass wealth, they can amass education, and they can amass status. We can invite them into our world in order to what? assimilate them. They become assimilated. They lose their cultural values, their religious values, their heritage, their contact with God. And so God sends these prophets to draw them back, to rein them in, to remind them of their heritage, to remind them of their true citizenship. And this is a constant tension that is assimilation in any immigrant community that wants to retain their identity in a sort of foreign land. Because over time, unless they diligently cluster or they diligently cloister, then they begin to lose their particular identity and become more and more like the surrounding culture. Now, what did Babylon want them to assimilate to? Babylon wanted to strip away their cultural and religious identity by, hear this, offering them wealth, and status, and achievement, but just on the Babylonians' terms. That was how they wanted to assimilate them. And many studies have been done of the church, and this is where it becomes personally applicable to us, that Christians are known for being judgmental about personal morality issues, but yet thought to be indistinguishable, that is, assimilated to the larger culture's adoration of money and status and celebrity and achievement. You see, 
clustered and cloistered in its own little moral practices, but yet assimilated in the far more foundational things. Jeremiah says to Israel something very, very different. He says not to assimilate, not to over-accommodate the culture that they live in, nor to avoid the culture or withdraw out of self-protection. And this was something entirely new, something that didn't occur to the Israelites. Instead of assimilating or avoiding, they are to settle down. They are to build houses. They are to increase in number or multiply or and multiply. And this is the Hebrew term ravah, which is a loaded term. This doesn't mean simply to reproduce and increase in number, but it's the very same command that was given in in the early chapters of Genesis. Multiply in order to bring my presence, my peace, my shalom upon the earth. That was the earliest command to God's people, the cultural mandate to go and reproduce, to bring His presence across the face of the earth. And what Jeremiah is saying to them is that you've been displaced from your land. You're now strangers. You're not full citizens. But your agenda is still the very same. Your agenda is still in place. Bring my presence and my grace to where you are now, to where I have rooted and planted you. That is far be, as hard to understand as it might be for you in Babylon, that you were to care for that pagan city because you now reside there. Now, one offer is assimilation, but the other offer comes from Israel itself. Jeremiah mentions the false prophets in verses 8 and 10 and says, don't listen to them. They're not speaking for me. And what were they telling them? Well, in chapter 8, it tells them that the prophet, we read that the prophets were telling them in two years, God will break the yoke. That is, look, people, just, you know, let's endure a little bit longer because God is going to come in and rescue us and bring us back to the land in just a couple of years. So don't sink roots. Don't plant gardens. Don't multiply. Don't seek the peace and prosperity of the city because we're only going to be here for just a little while. Don't move in. Just stay in our enclave. Stay in our tribe. So, you see, the assimilationists lust for the power of the city, the approval of the city, what they can extract from the city, what they can get out of it. The tribalist says, I'm not interested in the welfare of the city and the good of the, the city. I'm interested only in my own tribe's welfare. You may use the city's infrastructure for jobs, etc., but you don't love the city and maybe even disdain and fear the city. The prophets These false prophets say, protect yourself, protect your tribe, protect your own self-interest, seek your own welfare, exploit Babylon. And Jeremiah says, they do not speak for the Lord. Quite the contrary. Jeremiah says, no, that it'll take 70 years. That is a perfect number for God's purposes to be established And when his purposes for Israel being exiled into Babylon have been established and have come to pass, then he will rescue them. It's not a promise of an exact 70 years. It's a promise that when his purposes have been established. And so, therefore, you're here, perhaps for a long time. Sink roots. Love the city. Serve the city. Pray for it. Seek its prosperity. He says, verse 5, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, marry, and have sons and daughters. Also, 
Verse 7, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into, the, into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, we've, most of us have heard of St. Augustine's Confessions. You may, even if you had a secular education, read part of it, at least in a high school lit class. His other great classic is The City of God. Now, I haven't read it. I'm told it's amazing, but it's so long. It's hard to get through it. But the basic thesis is pretty straightforward. And he puts the history of the world in the frame of two cities, the city of God and the city of man. And up until the time of the prophets, it was thought that these two cities coexisted in separate places. There was Jerusalem, there was the holy city, and then there was Babylon, the pagan city. And these two cities were always at enmity with, the, with one another. There was, wasn't any overlap. And what Jeremiah does in this passage is he actually lays them on top of each other. And it doesn't conflate them to where the distinctions fall away, but he lays them on top of each other. Before you had two separate circles, and you may live in one uh, and go to the, the other city out of necessity for works or events or services, but, the life, but life in the city of man is very perilous. So it's safer, more spiritually expedient to live within our own spiritually gated communities, live within our own tribes in order to protect our interests. But Jeremiah lays out a completely different strategy, a plan that's utterly different. He says, you are to flourish economically, socially, and yes, spiritually, in the midst of the city of man. That the city of God is supposed to exist in the midst of the city of man. Not to be conflated, but to bring the presence of heaven into that place. It's a very different strategy. Augustine says the city of man, the earthly city, is built on pride. You go into the city to get a name, to get a self, to achieve something, to find recognition then I'll know I'm somebody when I've made a name in this city, when I've successful, when I've gotten my education, I've established my credentials. And so, therefore, that city is a place of exhaustion and selfishness and not caring for one another and the peace of the city. The city of God, however, the value isn't pride, but the value is peace. And so, you see not exhaustion, but joy, not exhaustion, but rest and giving they have God's grace, so they know who they are. They know that they're already loved before they achieve, before they have success, before they have spiritual devotion. And this is a place then where people don't seek their own end, but they seek peace. They seek the prosperity, not of their own interest in their own tribe, but of the whole city. You see, people who have already gotten a sinner people who already have uh, a center, people who already have an identity can live differently in the city that they inhabit. They can live what we would say missionally. That is for the good of the city, to bring God's grace, to bring God's healing presence to bear upon all the places where it's needed. When you have a center, when you have an identity, you can live where you do not for what you can gain, but for what you can give. If you understand, you see that God pours out everything for you, then you begin to see your resources as not for your own tribe, solely for your own family, for your own interest, but you see your resources as given to you in trust for those people that you encounter in the places that you inhabit. 
If you understand your identity through the gospel, through your eternal loveliness before God, then you aren't threatened by people who are different from you. In fact, you can see them as people who have God's grace, have His image, and that perhaps you can even learn from them. If you understand that the gospel is not God's plan to keep you safe until He gets you to heaven, but how God is extending His grace and peace upon our broken world, then you don't have to wall yourself off looking for your own safety, but you can intentionally move into places of brokenness and even danger trying to extend the grace of God, trying to seek shalom. That is full human flourishing as God meant it to be. You see, Christians, when they understand their calling, when they understand their identity in the gospel, Christians dream dreams for the city that the city didn't know it should dream. Christians dream dreams dream for our city that it doesn't know it should have. You see, if a Christian understands it's his or her identity, if a church understands his or her identity, then we are the ultimate citizens and the ultimate strangers because we know what's going on behind the scenes. We know the ultimate end of the city. We can live with peace. We can seek peace. Or to put it another way, Harvey Kahn, who was a 20th century theologian, said, let people know that by giving their allegiance to Christ that they will be embarking on a great campaign to banish war and poverty and injustice, to set up a life where love and service and justice have taken the place of selfishness and power. Let people know that the church sends out this manifest, that, <laughs> that the church that sends out this manifesto plans to be an advanced copy of the new world order that it preaches. Do you see again thin places where the distance between heaven and earth collapse? The church is to be an advanced copy of how the world should work. When they know their identity, then there is flourishing, there is forgiveness, there is peace. There is seeking not your own achievement, but seeking to be a giver, to give of your resources to someone else. So, friends in town, what if our personal lives, what if in our family's life, what if in our community groups, what if in our church, we were to look for specific ways that God's intention of human flourishing or shalom is absent, and then going about finding a way to bring about His presence, His resources to bear upon it. It takes looking. It takes paying attention. In all of those places, where is God's desire for human flourishing, for beauty, for joy, for grace? Where is it absent? And how can I, in a little way or a large way, seek to bring it? God sought to do that in His world through what? The incarnation through being present in a dangerous place, through bringing the city of God to the city of man in the person of His Son, Jesus. Not to coerce or to colonize, but to love, to distribute gifts, to bear witness through sacrificial living. And the only way that any of us will be fully able to live for shalom for other people's good is when we realize that God has sought our shalom, that God has gone to every length to give us peace. When you realize that though you deferred from God, 
in these exact same areas, and he sought your welfare, he sought your eternal shalom, then you can begin to extend that to others. You see, what God said to you is he said, I have a dream for you that you didn't know that you should have. And he dreams for your eternal shalom, and therefore he sends his son Jesus in the human form to take up resonance in our world, to give his life over for your eternal peace. He says, I see the places in your soul that are aching for peace, and I want to provide it. And so his son comes as a messenger of peace, the ultimate citizen and the ultimate stranger. We read in Luke 19, as we read earlier, Jesus outside the city weeping and praying that this, for the city that's opposed to him. It stones the prophets and it will ultimately crucify him. And yet he prays, he weeps, he desires their good. He puts himself at risk for their shalom, for their peace. Luke 13, a few chapters previous, says, How I long to gather you like hens. What is that picture? What is that an image of? That's an image of peace. That's an image of wholeness, of flourishing in the midst of a larger world that is threatening and dangerous. And if you're in Him, that's your calling as well. He becomes an outsider so that you can become an insider. He is cast out of the city so that you can be brought in. So would you let Him bring you in this morning? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, often it seems so presumptuous of us, those of us who have baggage and issues and sin and brokenness, to presume to care for the world outside or to presume to have a message that the world outside needs. So, Father, give us humility. Let us see first our own need and our own sin and take that to You. And as we are renewed, as we are refreshed, as we are, yes, rescued, let us offer that same grace to those outside and to those in our midst. Lord, we pray that Your kingdom would come and that this church would be a place of flourishing in such a way that your kingdom is present, that it is identifiable. And Lord, I pray that you would cause your church to seek you and to seek to be the pres your presence on our, in our world and in our city. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.